Amen. You can be seated. So, out of that little prayer exercise we just did, I will guarantee you there will have been healing. I will hear about it later. There will be a testimony that will come out. And so, because of that, I, I would just encourage you. <laughs> I know um, there's lots of reasons to come to church, and of course, one of them, and the primary one, is to give honor to God with your time, right? But in the act of giving your time and coming to a place like this, Bible says where two or three gather together, there I am in their midst. So what he's saying is it's not that he's not in your midst like when you're walking down the road and stuff, if you know Jesus. It's just that there's a special thing that happens where two or three gather that doesn't happen anywhere else. And so if you as a church make room for healing, make room for miracles, make room for it, then you would expect that we would see more. That's a fairly good motive to come to church. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, don't do it to please me or this person. <laughs> do it to get well. Do it to see the furniture move in your life where you've been stuck for so long, and especially, I would say, in the area of physical healing. The Vineyard has a unique, unique anointing as a group, as a group of churches in this particular area. And that's rather remarkable. It didn't go anywhere. The Vineyard has been through lots of tumult and change lately. I just was with the whole group of all the Southern California pastors, and uh, we're in better shape than we've been in, in years. And I'm saying that that's a really good thing. You know why? It's not because we want to perpetuate any name. It's because we have found each other, and we are praying for each other, and we are one unit throughout this whole area. And we have always, as a group of churches, had a mantle for health and healing since the earliest days, right? And so as the churches come together and as we find one another and as we become this movement and we're reintegrating and redoing and uh, getting stronger and stronger, I expect that you will also see as part of that uh, the return of lots of major anointing with regard to healing. And we're already seeing it happening in our churches. It's really quite remarkable. And we just have that as a church movement. It's been there from the very beginning. And, uh, and it's just one of those things that happen with our group of churches, and it's been, and it's for every group of churches that wants to, you know, pray for the sick. But we have a corporate awareness of that, which makes it easier, as does our church, right? And it makes it more prevalent uh, for healing to, because wherever faith is, there's healing, right? So when the whole movement is be, being retrofitted, so to speak, with healing, it's going to spring down into the churches and then into all of us, into our home groups and small groups and this is going on now. I was just convinced of it, and I was just very, very pleased to see that. Janice and I went to be with all the other Southern California. We had our whole team there. Oh, you should have seen some of our musicians playing, man. It was awesome, man. They're really good, man. It was really good to see our own playing up there, and it was just so great, and we had just a great time. All right, so I want to talk about what faith and answered prayer really look like. And notice the word really look like. Uh, I just want to talk about that for a moment because I think it's important to sort of, as we're navigating our way, you know, through prayer and praying for people, praying for things, uh, praying for situations, praying for Jesus to come back, <laughs> which is an important one, praying for the priests of Jerusalem, that's an important one, right? So I just want to just uh, talk about answered prayer a little bit in faith, all right? So I'm just going to use some texts here. You can see the first one, Acts 12, 5 to 19. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying in God to God for him. 
The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So uh, I think they were after him. I think his demise wasn't going to be too much. They were thinking, you know, we're going to make sure we nail this before this gets even more out of hand than it already is. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was, do was doing was really happening. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, he thinks he's in a vision still, like a dream or whatever. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered, and they're praying. What are they praying for? They're praying for him to be released. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Okay, now here's the next line. You're out of your mind. Think about that for a moment. We're all praying for Peter's release. He shows up at the door, and they think, Rhoda is out of her mind. So do you recognize yourself here? This is so important because faith and answered prayer go together. And it's so important that we live on the edge of expectancy for a breakthrough any moment. It's the right place to be. It's the right posture. It's possible to pray earnestly and not recognize the answer even when it is knocking at the door. This is a big deal, by the way, guys. This is a big deal. I'm telling you something really significant here. It's possible to pray earnestly, and the Lord's knocking on the door, answering it, and you can't see it because you fell in love with the process of prayer, or you're in so much pain, you're groaning in prayer, but you're not looking and watching to see the answer for your prayer, the expectancy. This is a huge, huge deal, I think. <laughs> you're out of your mind, they told her. You're out of your mind. They were all out of their mind. They're praying fervently, doing religious behavior without any expectation there's going to be a change. When she kept existing that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Okay, that would never happen in the United States pretty much, right? Because those people, as do many people in the earth, have a supernatural worldview. So they could easily say, well, there's only one explanation for this. We don't doubt you, Rhoda. It must have been his angel. Now, what American congregation would say, well, it's probably his angel, right? No, he'd say, you're out of your mind, Roy. He's in jail. They can't get out of it. Look, you've seen that fortress lately? There's no way. And we haven't heard nothing about it anyway, so why would he be knocking at the door, right? Blah, 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 blah. Now, that's what people would say from a secular worldview, which in my class called Life in the Spirit, which I've been so happy to have um, uh, many of you come and visit me on Wednesday night. And I'll be there this week. I was let gone at the conference last week, but I'll be there again this Wednesday. But one of the th things I try to communicate is you have to understand, if you want to move in miracles, the baggage you're carrying of your culture, right? 
And the significant baggage that we carry in our culture is a secular worldview. We come out of that worldview. We don't know it. We don't even understand what worldview is. It's a way of looking at reality. You were taught it unconsciously from the day you were born all the way through your school. And, and it's been like, you know, and so our worldview is basically secular. Even the churches have a secular worldview, pretty much. They believe in the basic tenets of the gospel of salvation, but the miracles and the crazy things are actually could be quite offensive to them. And so they try a lot of times some incredible intellectual uh, gymnastics to try to <laughs> explain some of the weird old crazy stuff in the Bible. And the Bible is just the Bible. Talking donkeys, anyone? <laughs> Walking on water, anyone? Multiplication of food, anyone? Wow. Well, those were, well, I'm not sure what they were, but they're just sort of things, stories for us to understand the nature of God. Yeah, here I like to go like this. Yes, the nature of God. Lord, what you did then, do now. That's your nature. You will do it now. You will do it then. I don't know what happened to your nature somewhere. You lost your nature. I'm not sure. But I don't think that's true. I think your nature then is here, right? Uh, well, and there's that verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What about that one, right? And so... We see in the pages of the book this wonderful supernatural culture, right? It's very important that we understand that about ourselves and where we're at today. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers, as to what became of Peter, had become of Peter after Peter had a thorough, after Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards in order that they be executed. Poor, poor guards, man. <laughs> what a bummer, right? So, it is possible to pray earnestly and not recognize the answer even when it is knocking at your door. Now, I'm just going to try to explain this as best you can because I, I'm beginning to understand this more and more. When I look for what God's doing, I, I try to look through my supernatural eyes and to see. And by understanding that I need that viewpoint, and even starting there, it really helps me to actually move in the miraculous. If I'm not expecting God to do that, I don't see it generally. But if I'm expecting God to move, answer my prayers when I pray, then one of most my important jobs is to notice when God's doing something. And then what we have this famous vineyard prayer, more, Lord. We just say more, right? And often what we want is the whole full-blown thing, and after the full-blown healing has come, then we're okay. God healed them. But actually, often God heals in a process, right? And sometimes faster, we call that a miracle, sometimes slower, but nevertheless, all healing's a miracle. Right? So you have to see it, notice it, and then keep asking God to keep on going. So it's like we, we are more a part of the process than I've ever believed before. Most people give up on miracles and sickness because they feel like, uh, you know, it's either there or it isn't, fine, thank you. you know, but no, it's not like that. No, it's a process. It's often God is healing you and doing something with you. So to recognize the signposts, around you is really important. Sometimes I'll get a word of knowledge from here or when I'm praying for people or just walking in the warehouse or whatever, and I can see the beginning of something. So I want to introduce you to a concept that I didn't put in my notes. It might be in there somewhere, but I call it faith journeys. God takes us on faith journeys, you know, and he builds us up that way. And so the start of the thing begins, 
And because we don't receive the full thing, we just assume that, uh, and, and matter of fact, here's another bad thing, is if we get partially healed, we get really depressed because it only was partial and I still got this and we assume that this is it. No. Here's a great way to look at it. You're on a faith journey. And in that journey, here's the most amazing thing. God teaches you all kinds of good stuff. So he heals your mind, your spirit, and your body as you're on your way. But sometimes people get a little healing and then it stops or doesn't continue and they get so discouraged and overwhelmed it's almost like it was better it didn't happen because they have a really bad understanding of the way God heals. Can he heal on the installment plan? I would rather get healed on the installment plan than no healing. And if that's dependent on me recognizing and asking God to keep on... That's why we have scriptures like ask, seek, and knock. But the tenses of those words are keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking, right? So we miss a lot of spiritual activity. And so because we don't understand this faith journey, right? And by understanding that often we are on a trip with God, right? We're not on a yes or no trip. We're on a trip with God. So we have this thing wrong with us. So as we move into this journey with God and we're into this place of needing to be healed, we learn some of our best stuff. God speaks to us. He has our full attention. And we learn things that actually uh, contribute to our healing later. In other words, not only that we would get stronger and the next thing that comes we're ready for it, but also that we now become this testimony to help other people out of their problems and, under, uh, and, and what we went through, right? And help them to understand and help them to keep on going and not give up. Lots of healing comes like this. We go on these journeys and these journeys are for our growth. These journeys are for our testimony that we just had, this kind of testimony. Uh, some testimonies are testimonies of what happened over a period of years. Some over moments. We like the moments ones, right? But in the process, God's a full dimension healer. So he not only heals your body, but also he brings you back to himself. He also brings this wonderful um, compassion that he works in you. It's lovely. So that after you're done with your ordeal, you become a healer yourself. Because you've got compassion in you. You saw the way the Lord did with you. And you're able now, fully armed, to help another person. God is really committed to using His body, His, His church, to heal one another in His name. He really likes that. And uh, I don't even know why, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, why do you use bozos like us? You know, I mean, please, just could you just bypass us for a while? Ah, that's not what He likes. He likes sons and daughters, and He likes the whole process, and He likes us to grow up in our faith. And it glorifies God, by the way, when we respond like that. It's possible to pray earnestly, this is Roman number one, and not recognize the answer even when it is knocking at your door. So again, you may receive just a little bit. When you get a little bit, we have a famous vineyard prayer. More, Lord. (laughs) So simple. Almost dumb sounding, right? But powerful. You get any kind of breakthrough in in your body or any other thing you're asking for, look at that, recognize it, thank God, and ask for more. That way, in your healing, you stay relational. God doesn't become a short-order cook, you know, or a question between, like, His goodness and His not. You know, because over time, without any hope, and you're in this place long enough, you just begin to, maybe even, you would never, maybe be too religious to say it outwardly, but really you think God gave up on you, you don't think He's a very good person, so on and so forth, if actually the truth came out, right? 
But if you have understanding that healing is a process, that many times God's working us is taking us on a journey to build our faith, to give us more, not less, then guess what happens at the end of the process? You become a healer. You become someone that is able to then minister to others. And also you come away with a whole other frame of reference. And also you come away with more of God and more ability to do business with God, not only in the healing area, but in the other areas of your life. You become more patient, but also you become more prayerful. So if you look at 1A, fear and unbelief make us blind to God's answers to prayer. Believing that God is good all the time is very helpful to opening the door of blessing in our life. This fundamental belief that, I don't know, in the end, God is good. That will help you through any problem. One thing I ask from the Lord, he says, Psalm 27, 4, This only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice. This is the sacred tent, by the way, here today in this assembly. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music beautiful to the Lord. So this encompasses worship and all of it, right? In the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe. Fear and unbelief make us blind to God's answers to prayer. Believing that God's good all the time is very helpful to opening the door of blessing. So worshiping even in the context of our pain. Look at verse 13 and 14 of the same psalm. He says this at the end of it. Oh, I love this so much. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, if you're very biblically literate, you'll go look through David's life and find out why that's such a significant thing. This David that we memorialize, that we love so much, we all forget about this guy being hunted down, beaten up, screwing up, messing up, suffering horribly, right? Personally, as well as in his family, rebellion of his sons, everything. But in the end, listen what this guy says. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Ultimately, I'm taking this journey, but in the end, I'm going to see, and he said, in the land of the living. Not after I'm dead. No, I'm going to see it in the land of the living. But the thing is, that doesn't mean that there isn't some time in there, some, some moving around. He, he just outlined it, and you know David's life. He has some treacherous times that lasted a little while, you know, years, you know. But he got to the other side. Then he says this, here's my advice to you. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord because you're supposed to be abused and confused, and that's somehow in the righteousness of God. No, wait for the Lord. He's coming. He's going to teach you something about himself. He's going to make you useful to the kingdom. But wait for the Lord, more importantly, because he will get to you. He will help you in his time. And by the time he's done with you, you're going to be actually more equipped to actually get more healing later for other things you're going to need, more equipped for other people, you're actually going to be stronger for any time the enemy tries to come and knock your block off, right? Any other ordeal you have to go through. And here's a hint. Man's born for trouble as sparks fly upward. So there's a little bit of trouble in this life, right? And even for the best of us, Jesus, his disciples, all of us, all of us, right? So, Look at B there. God speaks far more than we think. Noticing the fingerprints of God in small and big ways keeps us from missing answered prayer. So as I go on a faith journey, I'm always looking for signs that God's doing stuff. 
something that happens. If you notice and you start looking for the healing and looking for the breakthrough, you start noticing things. And those little fingerprints will increase your faith and lead you to your miracle. The business and clutter of life can make us dull to the working of God and the fabric of everyday life. Here's something that God's really about. He's about the fabric of everyday life. John used to say, John Wimmer used to say, the meat's in the streets, <laughs> which is sort of a weird way of saying it. But anyway, it means that life and activity in God is here when we gather, but for most of us, we don't spend all day in a prayer meeting. Most of us spend day our day out there, right? So when you say the meat is in the streets, this is where we do business with God, for God, and see God move. And this is just the culmination of that. And maybe we gather some believers around and everything, but God wants to heal you whether you're in a church meeting or not. He wants to walk with you whether you're in a church meeting or not. He wants to confront you, help you, read your Bible, get verses, get other believers outside of church and inside of church because we're all on our way to healing if we know the Lord. It's just that it might take some time, and sometimes the busyness of life helps us miss the signals. We don't, we just ignore the signals. We get better, and we don't give God any credit. We see something happen, and we ignore it, because it's not the whole enchilada. It's not the whole thing, right? And so it's like we turn God into a shorter order cook. If he doesn't bring it on time, this isn't McDonald's, by the way. <laughs> you know, our miracles aren't McDonald's. Sometimes, ironically, though, it gets confusing, because sometimes miracles come like, like that, without like hardly breathing the word, right? Some, God can do that, and He does it. We, we barely even get through praying, and He does it. But then there's other times. And in those times, uh, we just need to make sure that we're standing clear with the Lord. We're recognizing what He's doing. These people, how is it that a person can pray? These are New Testament prayers. They're the first believers. They're praying, let him out of jail, let him out of jail. He's knocking on the door. That can't be Peter. He could not have answered our prayer. What is that all about? Wow. So maybe we're not really praying. Maybe we're con comforting each other or complaining. But we're not really praying. Because if you're really praying, you're expecting an answer. A breakthrough. Matter of fact, you're shocked if you don't get it. Oh, he's at the door. Ah, let's go grade him. Yeah, that's what we're praying for. No, you're out of your mind. Can't be him. Who can get out of that fortress? Right? And you can understand why they would think that way. Jesus got crucified. So they're thinking, uh-oh. Here we go, right? All right, look at Roman numeral two. Peter's friends blessed, uh, prayed blessing to their front door and then did not let him in. You're part of the answer to many of your prayers. And I just want to go over this a little bit more from just through some really interesting scriptures. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Wisdom path. Sometimes you get wisdom in installments. Many times you get wisdom in installments. So you just have to remember he gives it generously. But sometimes it comes in pieces. If it delays a little bit, he'll still be generous. If you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Whatever you do, don't forsake the Lord. And you know what? Forsaking the Lord, pulling away from the Lord, like, you know, it's not like you're just pulling and hate God or anything. But, you know, I can watch this atrophy a lot because, okay, reasonably speaking, if God inhabits the praises of his people, he dwells here, we would fight to the death to say that when we gather together in Jesus' name, there He is in our midst. Yet we don't come to church. It's a hard thing for us. If God's in your midst, why would it be hard to come to the assembly of believers where God says He lives? Why would that be a hard thing? Where two or three gather together and there I am in their midst. You want to go where God is? Where God heals? See, it's not just where God is. 
Like sometimes think, God is. He's with the pastor and with the worshiping. No, where God is, he's right here in this assembly, and he could do anything at any moment, any time. He is here in a way that he's not other places. So why is it so hard to assemble together? Oh, I've got such a busy life. Oh, you know, no matter I'm under right now. Well, maybe you wouldn't be so far under if you were just hang out with some believers who could pray that off of you, right? Or just give honor to God. Give and what? It shall be given to you. When you give honor to God, guess what? You get it back on your head. When you give money to God, you get, get it back on your head. Right? This thing that you do here with your time and your worship is a giving thing. That's why sometimes it's hard. You've got the whole family and everything. But it's a giving thing. And you train your children to be givers. So when they come to church, they're giving of their time. For us in Orange County, busy, busy people that we are, this is one of the most extravagant gifts you can give God. You've worked hard all week, many, many hours, and then you just set this time, and I'm going to give this to God. I'm going to give it to God. What a generous thing, right? So <clears throat> I'm chasing 5,000 rabbit trails, but I like them all. <laughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So if you ask, expect. If you ask and stop expecting, you get unstable. Your Christian walk gets unstable. And pretty much, especially if you have a serious need, you know, and you stop asking, what happens is it destabilizes your whole walk with the Lord. You become unstable in everything. We'll think, well, if he's not going to take care of that huge need, then he probably doesn't care about this or this or this. What's the use? What am I doing here? Right? Oh, that cycle goes more than we can imagine. And I, I have a, ring, a front row seat as a pastor to watch people go through those things. You don't get, have to go to church. You get to. <laughs> the Most High God inhabits the praise of his people. That should be a big hint, right? <laughs> Like, he's actually here, right? And he's here inside of you also, wherever you are, but as a believer. But I like this verse so much, he, uh, Revelation 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And so God's knocking. Like Peter, he's knocking. He doesn't knock and then go away for three years and come back and knock again. <laughs> but as he knocks, is there going to be there anyone to open the door again? Because if you get so confused, well, I did open the door one time and what didn't seem to be there. Just keep opening the door. Believe me. He might have just gone down to get a hamburger and he's coming back. He is there. Don't give up. When you give up your knocking and seeking and asking, then you start inventing other ways to get the deal done, right? Get into sin, get into bad things, stupid things. Just let the Lord show you the pathway and follow his path. It may be small at first, but there will be an answer to everybody that asks of him. He's just going to take you on a little journey. So sometimes people disrupt their journey really early. Because it's, the journey isn't very comfortable as on what they expected, right? We'll see some of that as we move on a little bit here. Uh, well, well, we're actually here right now. Second Kings 5, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. I love this because it's me, man. This is us right here, man. 
This guy's named Naaman the Syrian. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, because he torn his robes because he thinks the guy above him, the king, is picking a fight with him. He sent him with this message. Why have you uh, torn your robes? Have the man, uh, oh, Elisha says this to the king. Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So what has happened is that this king uh, has sent his, his uh, amazing uh, warrior, uh, the chief of staff, the king of his generals. His name was Naaman, and he's got leprosy. And so those servant girl tells everybody, hey, this guy I know in Israel can heal people. So the king of Syria, whatever it is above Israel, sends Naaman to him, right, to get healed. So the king of Israel has no faith whatsoever. So he thinks that this other guy, is, is pick, the other king is picking a fight with him. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him saying, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. <laughs> but Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought that he would surely come out to me, stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over this spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Wow. There's a lot there. Expectations of the way God's going to do it, man. He's got your expectations. You're praying and praying, and you got this. Then somehow in our prayer life, we get this expectation of how God's going to do it, right? Right? And we get all set. And then when it doesn't happen our way, as if like we're God, right? We just sort of we get confused. We 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 get even a little bit uh, angry and upset, right? Because it didn't come out. It's not working the way we thought it would be. You think by this time, think surely something else would happen, you know? And so this guy, he, it says, but Naaman went away angry and said, verse 11, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over this spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Now, which is the way you think like that? Okay, so maybe you wouldn't be that dumb. But maybe there's other things you're just as dumb about. You're having this expectation of what an answered prayer would look like in this situation. Could I just say something to you really powerful? God's always after more for you, not less. He's not this chintzy person that just wants to give a little bit here, a little bit there, because you're so bad. Do you think you can help your badness by being really, really good for 10 minutes and really that would change his whole mind about you? Because the more you walk with God, the more you see, ooh, I got lots of stuff, man. I'm re Whoa, I didn't know that was there. It might have been there 10 years. I'm a thief. You find out 10 years, man, I really am a thief. I've been stealing, doing kind of all kinds of, well, man, I didn't know that. Ooh, right? And we find all kinds of things. Man, it's not that dramatic. We find it, right, about ourselves. So I'm thinking he's going to come and call in the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, I guess, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned, uh, he turned and went away in a rage. He's just mad. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if this prophet had told you to do some great thing, <laughs> would you have not done it? And he would have, right? He's this warrior, man. He would have done anything. He's invading Israel territory just to get a healing with all his soldiers. He's risking all the life of his soldiers and himself just to get this healing, right? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. 
What an amazing story. Can you see yourself here? question is, are you humble enough to open the door of blessing to your life? Humility is a big thing. Here's a scripture. God gives grace to the humble. So sometimes in our pain, he's just helping us out to have a better relationship with him. You know, you're not God. I am. (laughs) I know you know lots of stuff, but not enough. And by the way, there's whole things in your life you're completely blind to that are completely offensive to me. Why don't we start with humility and work our way back to the miracle? Then you can learn. Then maybe you won't get in trouble again like you are now. Because your pride goes before a fall. The more pride you have in your life, the more you're going to have falls. The more self-sufficient you think you are, the bigger mess you're going to get into. The more angry you are at God, the more trouble you're going to have. So we can't be offended by the process. And here's a part of the process. You do something really simple like go bathe in the river or whatever else God says about that. You might find yourself in an interesting position, a place. You might have someone praying for you. Well, I wanted the pastor to pray for me. But God might have this lowly person who's just carrying your healing that day. That's why a ministry team is so beautiful. We don't do a ministry team so everybody plays. We don't do it because of that. We do a ministry team because God likes humble things, and he likes many people to be involved. He likes his body to play, right? He likes the whole thing in that sense. But really, I think often it's a test for us to actually receive his gift at uh, at the hands of ordinary people. In a way, our altar calls are like training for the world that we would actually see ourselves as the answer to problems as an ordinary citizen, right? So we have ordinary people praying for ordinary people up there, and it's a magnificent thing because it's humble. Power of God can show up. And actually, as we do that, as people praying, as the prayers, we begin to realize, hey, I'm caring. i got something to offer. So guess what? I might just take that right out of here and into my office, right? And the people that receive it say, well, wow, I didn't need the super-duper guy, the speaker or anything. God's right here. Matter of fact, maybe God's especially here. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. You know, I would like to be one of those people that pray for people and see them get well. I would like to do that too. So then you go, oh. And then you know what? All of this is bathed in humility. God gives grace to the humble. So there's no superstars, although there are. Right? We're superstars, all of us. We have the Spirit of God in us. And when we learn that all of us can do this, then we might even do this. We might even take it to our business. We might even pray for somebody in our business because we know that we could do it. That's why we have a ministry team. We had all kinds of people to model for us that you too could do the very same thing. And also the ministry team people could do this here and also in their office, in their workplace. And the whole thing works great because God gives grace to what? The humble. Good job, Mike. And I have no idea where I was talking before, but before I went on that little ramp, all right? Ah, well, anyway, let's go to D, maybe. Is that where I'm at? Okay. I know you guys are watching the clock. You guys always know where I'm at. All right. (laughs) Isaiah, let's go to uh, Isaiah 58. So we're getting through the outline. Don't worry. We're getting there. All right. Isaiah 58. Uh, 3 to 9. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? 
Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, only a day to, to, for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes, you know, kind of making a religion out of this whole thing, this whole thing that I'm talking about here, right? Is that what you call an acceptable... <coughs> Uh, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the yoke, cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you'll cry for help and you'll say, Here am I if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and so on and so forth. He's talking about our character there, but he's also talking about some specific part of our character that has a sensitivity for those that are broken and lost around us. So he wants all of us to be in the game, all of us playing, but all of us do this. All of us see us as, as representatives of Jesus to loosen the chains of injustice. All of us play, all of us are involved, all of us are concerned for the weak around us. We don't have to feed the poor, we get to feed the poor. Are you kidding me? Feeding people releases more spiritual anointing and power than anything we can do. I was standing in front of all the vineyard pastors and I was speaking and I was thinking to myself, man, I'm, i got to really listen to what I'm saying here. Because I began to look through and I made a quick phone call to uh, Peggy. I said, how many people have said, I want to receive Jesus Christ as a result of one of our sermons that you preached out there while we were giving them food? We've been doing it since 2013, I think. She says, well, since 2013, 6,000 people have prayed to receive Christ out there. So I knew the number was high. So, wow. And that's just the salvation. The healing thing is just off the charts. And here's the hard thing. I realize where I'm at in my spirit. I realize where we're at. See, this is whole thing is, this, this whole little thing that I just, just got here, you know, uh, from uh, Isaiah 58. Is this, isn't this the kind of fasting to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, to see the naked? See, that's all connected to your light breaking forth like the dawn. Your light. Their, your, their light's breaking forth. You're helping somebody else's light break forth. But guess what? When you do that kind of thing, when we do it as a church, as an individual, when you're involved, your light breaks forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you'll call, and the Lord will answer. So he's talking about a community that cares for the poor, cares for the weak, does that on a daily basis. And then the Lord's like got this sign to us, and it's really hard because we haven't figured out now, yet quite yet, how to get the level of anointing that's out there in here. We have seen hundreds and hundreds of people healed of cancer. And they don't have the money for the big hospital or whatever, They've got this big thing in their leg or whatever, and they have almost no medical care. And they come and say to us, you prayed for us, and now we're well. And here's the report. I was supposed to die. I was. They said I would be dead in three months. Here I am. And it's six months later, I have no trace of cancer in my body. Wow. So they say, yeah, good. It's always out there. What about me? Ooh, good question. What about you? Well, wonder if we were so busy trying to get other people 
that are broken and beat up, healed, that maybe God might just go, this passage just might happen to us. I don't think you can earn that. You don't have to earn that to do that, but it's just the atmosphere. So what we're doing is we're trying to create a journey for us. You know, we're walking in a journey and we're walking in an atmosphere that is permeated with Jesus, that has signs and wonders all around it, right? So I'm trying desperately to try to figure out how to get the miracles out there and here. <laughs> so I moved them close to the sanctuary, so we got them right there, right? <laughs> Geographically. But the whole thing is, it's the spirit of the thing. It's our willingness to engage the weak and the heart of, of praying for that person next to you and the heart of being responsible. We are a brother's keeper. That whole thing of being concerned when a person doesn't have enough food or, or enough whatever they need, the whole weakness, the whole thing. We are concerned as a congregation for the weak. But when that happens, then there is a corporate anointing that also rests. We're so individualistic. We always think about ourselves in terms of ourselves and our own anointing. We don't think in terms of cultivating the anointing over the whole group. And these parts donates toward that. We do it by our tenants, our money, our giving, our prayer for each other. We, do, we, we create together this atmosphere of healing. And when a church has that, then they're going to see more healing. And if it's out there, there's just no reason why it shouldn't be in here. right? We should confidently assume, right? And so it's just a matter of faith and understanding. But God really likes the desperate. So if we commit ourselves to the desperate, not only just with their healing, but their, their, their poverty, their, their situation, then there's something that rests on us that's so powerful and so wonderful for the whole church, right? Luke 6, 37, 38 says it very succinctly. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. See, this is all about how we handle other people. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow. Could I just say that again? Give, and it should be given to you. What is it that you need to receive? Well, maybe I need to receive healing. Well, give healing away, right? Well, I'm sick. Oh, that's one thing I love about the vineyard. They can coin this phrase, wounded healer, <laughs> right? So all of us at one time or another have something wrong with us or something not right. But if we sow into other people's lives, here's this law that takes place in God. Don't judge, you won't be judged. Don't condemn, you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven, Whoa, that's a big deal. Give, it'll be given to you. What what kind of giving back to you? Just a, what do I earn from this giving I do? Whoa, here it is. A good measure, pressed down, shake and gather. God's thinking, oh, I think I'll, I, I want him to get this point here. Running over. <laughs> is that good enough? <laughs> will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, will be measured to you in a turn. So when you measure out things to people that you need, Maybe you need a friend. Maybe you need this, 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 this. Measure it out. Be a giver yourself to somebody else that's in need, and it'll be measured back to you. But I like this part, a good measure. Well, how much am I going to get back? Oh, a good one. Oh, well, how good? Press down. This is agricultural terms. Uh, I'm, what do you do? Shaking together. So I'm shaking that thing so I can get more in it, right? <laughs> shaking together, running over, pounding it down, right? We pour it into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we measure healing, compassion, grace, money, whatever kind of provision to another person, another family, someone we know. And as a congregation do that, then I would expect more signs and wonders, healing and breaking through 
in all kinds of areas, right? Not just in your finances, but in every area of life. This is really good news. Last thing, open the door to answers the Philippians way. I really like this. So many of you know where I'm going. I'm going to Paul in jail, right? Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. So Paul, as you know, this, this, he's saying this in the context of Philippi. He's writing to the Philippians. And you remember he was in jail in Philippi. And while he was in jail in Philippi, he was worshiping the Lord. And he, as he and his companions are worshiping the Lord in jail, the jail cell shakes, the door flies open, and, he, and the whole thing leads to his deliverance. All right? So now Paul is writing, and this happened in the city of Philippi. Now Paul is writing this to the Philippians, and now look what he says. It's so cool. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Right? We were rejoicing just now. Make that a habit. Rejoice. How, how many times rejoice? Only in church? No, always. There will always be a song on your lips. Always worshiping. Rejoice always. Because guess what he was doing when he was in jail? He's using it as an example. They full know what he's talking about. They realize he got out of jail because he started worshiping God. And as he's worshiping God in this dank, horrible cell, the Spirit of God comes and shakes the cell, and the doors fly open, and he gets out. Let your gentleness be evident to all. It's another way of saying let your forbearing spirit, meaning uh, when people misuse you or abuse you, or, or just be gentle and kind to them. Bear with them. Forbearance has the word bear, right? Here it's translated gentleness. You know, even when people aren't so nice to you, let everybody know, hey, I'm not going to repay you for what you did for me, to me. The Lord is near. Because what? Why does it say the Lord is near? Well, he forgave you for all your nonsense. Why aren't you going to forgive this guy for their nonsense? Well, I'm too good for that. Oh, really? You are, huh? Okay. Back to school. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, how, how many situations would that be? Even the ones that stink, even the ones that have been not answered for so long, even the ones that just seem so far out of reach, even ones that seem so impossible, no way, no way, God has been so delayed for so long, there's no way, no, 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 no. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, uh-oh, oh, did you leave that out of your prayer? Sometimes I do. In the name of persistence, I'm persisting, 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 but I ain't enjoying it, right? Now, Thanksgiving sort of puts the salt on it, so it tastes a little bit better. So we're not bratty, snotty-nosed kids, right? Just thank you, Lord. I'm pursuing you. I'm not upset at you, although I kind of am. <laughs> uh, but I got it under control, right? <laughs> Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have heard or learned, learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So the interesting word there, the very end of that, God of peace, it's the word shalom. And shalom was a big word. We think of peace as usually a lack of turmoil on the side. But in the, in the Hebrew, the word shalom is bigger than that. It's peace over your finances. It's may there be grace over your health. May your marriage be good. May your family be doing well. Peace, shalom. Everything about your life be good, right? So when he's saying this and talking about this, and the God of peace will be with you. So how is the God of peace with me? Rejoicing, not being anxious, 
praying and petitioning continually with what? Thanksgiving, right? Letting that peace guard your hearts and minds so you're not in a constant panic mode or complaint mode before the Lord, right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, you're thinking that thing, even though the thing that you're involved with may be really sad for you. But anything excellent or praiseworthy, surely the Lord is bigger in His purposes than the thing that you're the most concerned about. It's a big deal to you, but there's a whole big wide world out there, and you have a whole big wide call, right? And by the way, if you live this lifestyle like Paul did in the middle of a uh, horrible jail, chained to the floor, and began to worship the Lord anyway, you just might find that the worship bails you out of jail. I'm going to worship God no matter what. Matter of fact, I'm going to doubly worship. I feel bad about this, this, and this. I don't know why I'm in this jail. It's terrible. You know, how many of you know that an ancient jail was not exactly the most pleasant place in the world? They're sitting in their own excrement. They're not taken care of, especially the ones uh, condemned to some kind of political problem, right? And so he's giving us the answer. So part of the faith, the journey that we're taking is that we continue to do these things that Paul did, rejoicing, worshiping, singing, gentleness, kindness in our own personal relationships. Don't let hardness and make us mean. Be kind to people. And don't forget to petition. And when I petition, don't forget to say, thank you, Lord, for everything you've done. I really appreciate it. But I have this little petition there. And keep your heart guarded, right, that you don't get into bitterness and all of that, right? So this is what I think faith and answer prayer looks like. It's a whole process. It's a whole way of taking a journey with God. I like to think of it as a journey with God because on the journey with God, we begin to give thanks even when it's difficult. We begin to develop our prayer life. We begin to understand we actually do well even in the midst of our trial. And then when the answer comes, we're more grateful than ever. And then we just move right across our problems. We don't let them knock us out for three months from church or from any other activity, from spiritual activity. Bitterness is a horrible thing. If you're going to be bitter, like don't be bitter toward people. There's horrible, horrible things connected to that. But what if you're bitter toward God? Holy moly, you just cut yourself off. Why? It's all on your end, not his end. He keeps reaching out to you. You can't hear anything because you're so deaf with your bitterness. You can't hear a thing he's saying, even when he's giving you the answer to get out of the thing. And I want to finish with that. Even when he's giving you the answer to the way out. You know what? There's always a way out of every problem. And he'll give you the answer. But if your spirit's so mad, angry, you can't even hear the answer that's right in front of you because you're too busy thinking that he didn't treat you right. Or you've been bitter. Or maybe you haven't let bitterness go for another person. Forgive and you will be forgiven, right? So your general walk with the Lord and your journey with the Lord toward the answer to a very gaping hole and specific thing is absolutely essential. Everything you are and do is related to that answer, even though it might be a very specific thing that you need. Everything about your life has to do with it. You know why? Because God, lots of times, uses that one thing that's got your full attention to go get all the rest of your life lined up. (laughs) You know why He wants to do that? Because if you're sinning over here and doing all this, you're going to actually invite the devil into another part of your life, and that's going to be destroyed. So it gets your attention over here, get that. And then in the meantime, you start taking care of other areas of your life. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to get in whichever way he wants. So walking with God in his way, which we've described here, with answer prayer, causes your whole life to be good. Whole life. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. All my life. Everything good. Mentally, emotionally, my family, the whole thing. Right? 
So all your life's important. And it's very relative, related to how you live your whole life to that very specific thing in, in prayer that you need that's most dominant in your life at that moment. Your whole life is important, right? Amen. Let's all stand. So Lord, we just thank you for the strength, for the grace that's in God. Thank you, Lord, for the just uh, provision. I want to just thank you that you are a very good God. And here's another thing as we just come to prayer. Listen, God's so gracious. If you got convicted about anything that I said, right, and you realize, man, I have been really, I, uh, well, I didn't really know the half of it. Listen, don't spend like more than three minutes. Just say, God, I see it. I did it. I'm going to do better. Have mercy on me. Don't think, oh, well, that's probably an offense so deep to God that it's going to take me three years to get out of that hole. Because I've like been bitter for a long time. No, look, just get rid of it right now. Sorry about that. And God knows that even when you say you're sorry about that, you probably have to say it about five more times before you finally get the hang of it. He got it. But that attitude of heart, oh, you set yourself every time. One humble step toward God. Not perfection, just... Sorry about that. Opens the gate. That's how big it is. His grace is way bigger than your ability to repent or get everything nailed down. But this is a good start. We want to be cooperating, walking with God, not doing dumb things, right, to get in the way. Right? And we all like sheep are like that. We do dumb things all the time. Everybody, right? I feel the faith rise in the room. Listen. Maybe you were in worship for a minute. You might want to get some business done, anything that caught your attention. But don't spend, make a religion out of confessing it. Just say, ah, boy, got me, Lord. Please forgive me. And now come up and get your miracle, okay? I'd like the, worship team, the ministry team to come up here today. And you know what? One of these ministry team members may just have your miracle for today. So don't forget to pray and ask. Get past that other stuff, and then just come on up and receive something from God because God's in the business of doing good to you. Lord, I declare today this is a great day to be healed, refreshed, receive. Lord, in Jesus' name, you say you give grace to the humble, and here we are, Lord. We're asking you for miracles. We're asking you to do something special here in Jesus' name. I'm just wondering if I can have some of my leaders up here to help me pray today. Would you come up, please? Because in light of what I just prayed, I have a feeling that there's some uh, miracles that are waiting. I need all my prayer team up here. So if you could just come and help me say, well, I don't feel very, like, official. Just come up. If you have just any kind of uh, compassion in you, why don't you give today and just bless other people? If you guys could spread out a little bit so we have a little playroom. I give you an invitation in Jesus' name. Come to the front. Come and get healed. Come and get delivered. Just... Maybe negotiate some stuff there with the Lord on the way or stand there for a minute and then come and get healed. Get delivered. Lord, I pray there will be a mighty move of the Spirit up in the front. And I pray we'd have testimony after testimony of what you did for us this evening or this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.